Our second Bible reading for this evening um, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 31. And on my pew Bible, this is found on page 1202. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one, one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has apportioned first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? 
do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steph. Well, friends, if you keep your Bibles open, we will be working through this whole chapter, working through all all of those verses. Uh, But let's pray to God that he might help us understand, to receive and to be changed by it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is true. So help us to see it as the very words of God. And so we pray, Lord, that your word will convict us and change us, that we will be all conformed more so to the likeness of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, tonight I'd like to begin with a series of questions and I'd like a show of hands with this. Would you rather be good at soccer or would you rather be good at maths? Now, of course, some of you are good at both of those things and good for you, but if you had to choose, which would you rather be better at? Soccer, hands up. Maths. All right. The feet versus the mind. Would you rather be good at teaching or learning? Teaching, learning. Would you rather be good at cooking or washing the dishes? (laughs) Cooking, washing the dishes. Oh, we have some godly people amongst us. One godly (laughs) person. Would you rather be good at driving or doing the ironing? Driving, doing the ironing. Okay, all right, interesting. Well, with, with all that you're able to do, with all your skills and abilities and the things you're able to do, your talents, have you ever thought about ranking them, ranking them in order? This is more important than that. And so, for example, it's more important that I can drive than iron a straight shirt. I'm ranking my, my, my talents. It's more important that I can eat the things placed before me at dinner and eat it all than wash the dishes. Have you ever thought about ranking your talents, ranking your, your abilities? Anyone thought about that? Well, let's, let's do something else now. Let's Christianise these skills and abilities now. Would you, uh, show of hands again, would you rather be diligent in prayer or lead in singing? Diligent in prayer, lead in singing. Whoa, godly bunch. <laughs> Would you rather preach or help in crash? Preach, help in crash. Okay. Would you rather administer the finances of church or teach kids' church? Administration, teach kids' church. All right. Would you rather play music or do the AV and multimedia? Music? Play, oh, do the AV? Yeah, some of you, okay. Would you rather be a welcomer at the door or lead a growth group? Be a welcomer, be a leader growth group. Okay, well, that's interesting, isn't it? How would you go about then ranking these abilities, these talents, these gifts? And how would you then go on comparing yourself to those who can't do what you can? And how would you go about comparing yourself to those who are able to do things that you can't? You get those two scenarios? If we're ranking gifts, ranking abilities, how do you go about comparing them and comparing with others? Well, I wonder whether 
we do this in our church. I wonder whether all of us, either consciously or subconsciously, rank each other based on our abilities, based on our gifts, based on our talents, that there's somehow a secret pecking order of gifts. And so the higher up you're on this order, the more importance you have, the more significance you have in church. I wonder whether this happens either consciously or subconsciously in our church. Is it true of our church? Well, tonight we'll have to think about this. But whether it's true of our church or not, it was true in the Corinthian church. You see, what they did was they did rank each other based on what they were able to do. And so the higher on the pecking order of spiritual gifts that you were able to do, the more importance you you had, the more spiritual you are. And so that's how they work. And so tonight we have to think about these abilities, these gifts. What are we to make of it? What are we to make of spiritual gifts? How are we meant to think about it as Christians? Well, this is the issue that Paul addresses in this chapter. And so he begins. Let's have a look. Verse 1. Verse 1, Paul says, now about spiritual gifts. And so what Paul is saying, we're going to talk about this now. We're going to spend some time thinking about this. Brothers, he said, I do not want you to be ignorant. You see, Paul is reminding them that they were once ignorant. He doesn't want them to be ignorant now. At one time, they were pagans. They believed foolish things. They were ignorant. Paul does not want that to happen now. And so he goes on and says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And so he's reminding the Corinthians, you were fools at one time. You you believe these mute idols. We don't want that now. We do not want you to be ignorant now as Christians. And so he goes on to say, verse 3, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is telling them here that if you are able to confess that Jesus is Lord, it means that you have the Spirit of God. It means that you are a Christian. If you don't have the Spirit of God, there is no way you are able to confess and to believe that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul is making a point here. He's putting them all on the same playing field, same level. He's saying all Christians are spiritual and they are spiritual because they are able to confess and to believe that Jesus is Lord. And spiritual gifts come from the Spirit. That that is not what makes you spiritual, but it's to be able to confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul now, he goes on, he acknowledges, yes, there are spiritual gifts, but there is in fact a variety of gifts. But all of these gifts, all of these abilities, God-given abilities, they come from the same source and they come from God. And so we see this, verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, now he's bringing up this idea of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts has been a source of confusion and even division amongst Christians. But what is it about? What is it? Well, the word here, gift, in verse 4, is the word charismata. It's where we get the word charismatic from. But what is it? What does it mean? Well, the word charis, the first part of this word, means grace. It's the word grace. And so this word literally means grace gift. 
God's gracious gift. That is what it means. And so firstly what it means is that it is God's gracious gift to his people without them ever meriting it, without them ever deserving it. It is to be received as God's gracious favour. And so if anyone has any display of spiritual gift, which we'll go into later, no one can go on claiming, look how good I am, look how important I am because I can do this. And secondly, because there is a variety of, of gifts, a variety of grace gifts, Paul lists them later on, not exhaustive list. He goes on to say, no one of these gifts is meant to be the one that stands out as the mark of Christianity. Because there are a whole variety of gifts, everyone has different gifts, not any one of these is meant to be a mark of Christianity. And so this is really the error in, in many churches, in fact, particularly those in the, in the charismatic movement, which teaches that you need to, to exercise a particular gift or show and display a particular gift to show that you are a Christian. And so in some churches they do teach that you need to be able to speak in tongues as the second blessing, to show, to display as proof that you are a genuine Christian. But you see, that, that is wrong. That is not what Paul gets at. Because if you, do, if you do believe that, that creates two classes of Christians. That is not what Paul is on about here. Um, and, and, so, and, and so Paul wants us to see that spiritual gifts is God-given. There is a variety of spiritual gifts. Not one of them is meant to be a mark of Christianity, of genuine Christians. And, and so what he goes on to say then here then is that all Christians then are spiritual. All Christians are spiritual. All Christians are given gifts by God. And these gifts are diverse. And so Paul wants us to see the variety, the, the, the variety of grace gifts given to Christians for the common good. And so you can, in a sense, sense here that all Christians, in a sense, can say that all Christians are charismatic. Because all Christians have received some form of grace gift. It's not a mark of their faith, but it's graciously given by God. And so when you, in fact, consider the word charismata in the book of 1 Corinthians, you can see it used in various ways. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when we looked at this, it was used to even describe the gift of marriage, that is charismata. The gift of singleness, that was charismata. And so obviously... These are gifts that are available not just to Christians. So if you think about it, on the broader sense, all people in this world enjoy some charismata, some grace gift from God. In fact, it's not actually exclusive to Christians. But if we are to think the exclusive Christian gifts, all Christians receive some grace gift from God. And so there's a diversity of grace gift given by the same God. But for what purpose? Well, Paul now goes on to make that clear. It's for the same purpose, the common good, the good of the church. It's not given for my good, not for my benefit, not for my pride, but for the good of the church. And so verse 7 he goes on to say, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He goes on now to list a series of gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And so, you know, those who have wise counsel, who, who, who are able to teach in a way that helps you fear the Lord more. And then Paul goes on, to another message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, 
to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now notice that last bit. Grace gifts are given as the spirit determines. It is the spirit who determines, it is God who determines who gets what? For the common good. So it's not simply something where we, if we want it, we'll get it, or if we pray hard enough, we'll get it, but it's graciously graciously given as the Spirit determines. And so there's a diversity of grace gifts given by the same God for the common good. Now what Paul does now is he now uses an illustration, an analogy of the human body to help explain his point. There is a diversity of parts but the one body just as there there is the diversity of gifts for the one purpose, now there is the diversity of parts for the one body. And so the Christian community are to be seen as united in body, united in one body in Christ by the Spirit. This is what Paul goes on to say in verses 12 to 13. He says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. This is the analogy, the illustration he's using. And it is with Christ. For we were baptised by one spirit into one body. He said baptism speaks of the conversion. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And so how does this body function? There are two things here. Firstly, every part must see themselves as important. If all part belongs to this one body, then every part must see themselves as important. Every part has a play to play, a part to play in the well-being of the body. And that's what Paul goes on to say first, verses 14 to 20. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now just imagine what a body would look like if the whole body was one giant mouth or one giant eye. You, You look like that monster from Monster Inc., And then verse 15, he goes on, he explains, If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And then verse 18, but in fact, if... In fact, God has arranged the part in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You see, the way the body is set up, the way the church is set up, is the way God wants it to be. There is a diversity of parts joined together in one body. God is like this, this great conductor, arranging his orchestra, different areas of the orchestra, the woodwinds, the brass, the, the percussion, the strings, all set out and laid out so that they can play harmoniously together. And so that's a picture that we're getting. In verse 19, If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And so you can see the principle is quite clear. Many parts, one body. Many gifts, one purpose. And so what this should help us to realise then is the wonder and creativity of God. You see, God did not make us robots. God did not squeeze each of us like through a sausage machine where we're all identical. But God in his wonderful creativity, he made everyone different, with a different part in the same body of Christ. 
Don Carson, a theologian, he says, when God sends a snowstorm, every snow, snowflake is different. How do we go about making ice? We manufacture ice cubes. We see the creativity of God even in creation. And so every part of the body must see themselves as important. Secondly, every part of the body must also see others as important. There's no looking down on any other part of the body because they're different, because they look weird or because they seem useless. You know, if you think about this, what are the useless parts in our body? What seems useless in our body? One that, that seems useless to me are the toes. Why toes? Why not just web it all so that we can swim better? But do you know that though toes seem insignificant, they are there for a purpose. They help us balance and they give us traction when you're barefoot and they help us walk and run with efficiency. And so this is the image Paul wants us to see. You can't look down on any other part of the body. And we see this, verse 21 onwards. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those part of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern. And so the principle and the teaching and the illustration is clear, isn't it? Different parts, different function of the body, all important and all equal, equal but different. In fact, rather than look down upon any other part of the body, we're told here, Paul tells us here that we are to share in the joys of the other part of the body and we are to also share in the suffering and the burdens of the other part of the body. And we see this in verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And you notice this in church. If you see church as a family, when someone in church suffers, when we hear that someone gets cancer, the whole church suffers with that person, grieves with that person, prays for that person. And also the flip side, when we hear of news of birth, a boy or girl, the church celebrates together. We suffer together, we celebrate together. And so Paul wants us to see here, every part must see themselves as important. Don't look down upon yourself. And every part must see others as important. Don't look down on others. There is diversity and there is unity. And Paul now in the final verses, he summarises the point. He moves now from the illustration of the body back to the church. He wants the Corinthians to see this. He wants them to not be ignorant of this. There are different gifts, one purpose, different parts, but one body. And so the final verses, 27 onwards. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration. I mean, admin is a gift. Ever thought about that? And those speaking different kinds of tongues. Now this list here is not meant to be an exhaustive list. But what he's driving home here is that there is a variety of grace gifts given by God, determined by him for a common purpose. 
And then verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. And of course the resounding answer is no. We're not all meant to be the same. We're not meant to all do the same things and look the same and be the same. Just imagine that for our church, for our church gathering. If we all were singers, then who would play the music? If we were all teachers, then who would be learning? If we were all standing up here preaching, then who would be benefiting? You see, there is a diversity of parts, but the one body. And then verse 31, Paul finishes, but we eagerly desire the greater gifts, which we'll see in following chapters. And so, what does this mean for us today? This message, if you think about it, if anything, is actually quite straightforward. It's quite obvious. Different gifts, one purpose. Many parts, one body. But the question tonight I want us to think about is, what does it mean for us here at St. Stephen's? What does it look like for us here at St. Stephen's? Well, firstly, if these are grace gifts given by God, distributed by the Spirit as he sees fit, if these are unmerited and undeserved gifts from God, then there must be a deep and genuine sense of humility amongst all of us as we go about serving in our various ways. You see, my gifts were not given that I might get a big head. And your gifts were not given to you that you might get a big head. You see, they were given for the common good, the good of reaching out, the good of building up in Christ. And so think about this next time you serve, when you're praised by someone at church. When I've been praised by someone at church, what do we do? How do we respond? You know, they say to you, that was good. What you did was excellent. It was so encouraging. How you played the music, how you read the Bible, that was good. I'm proud of you. What do we say? What do we do? What do we think? How are we to be humble? Well, come to think of it, it was pretty good, wasn't it? Oh, it was pretty awesome up there. Is that what we say? Oh, yes, my service, my gifts, it's moving me up the ranks of importance in the church. I can do that now. How awesome am I? Or do we say, praise God, praise God for his goodness, or at least think it in our hearts. Who am I, O Lord, that you would use me in such a way that you would grant your grace, that you would give me this gift to be able to build up your church? Praise the Lord. I mean, that's humility, isn't it? Recognising that it comes from God anyway. And so in all our service, we do so humbly, Willingly, joyfully and lovingly. The God who grants us these various grace gifts has given us that for the good of his church. Now secondly, what are we to think about and see and consider the gifts we see in others? What are we to do there? This is where I want us all to do some deep soul searching. You see, the human heart is deceptive rather than Rejoice in the gifts God has given others. I suspect some of us might feel envious of others. I suspect some of us might even despise others because they do things better than us. You see, when I see out there that there are pastors who can preach with power and unction, 
and pastors, those same pastors who could, who could sing and play the guitar and look cool all at the very same time. What, I'm, what am I to think? Now, what am I to wish for? I wish that I can have those gifts too, Lord. Give me those gifts. Help me look like him, to be cool like that pastor. Or should I rather, rather avoid any hint of envy, but rather praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You are a great God. You in your majesty, in your power, in your decision, your sovereign will, decides to grant grace gifts in such way for the building of your church. And that benefits me. See, these are the things I can't do. If I can't do it, praise the Lord. It doesn't depend on me. And isn't that God's brilliant design for the church? Diversity of gifts, one person, different parts, one body, an orchestra playing harmoniously together. You see, thinking about this even on a a more personal level at home, I'm so glad that Yvonne has so many gifts that I don't have. I don't get envious of her because she's able to do things that I can't. Now, I'm not talking here about, about things like washing up and cleaning and cooking and those things. I'm talking about gifts of hospitality, how she's caring and gentle and wise. There are things she's able to do that I can't. There's no point of me being jealous of the gift she has that I don't think I have. God has given her those gifts for our good, for the common good and obviously for the building of the church. And so what do we do when we see gifts in others? We don't have any hint. We shouldn't have any hint of envy in our hearts. Rather, we rejoice that God in his kindness has granted grace gifts in his ways for the good of the church. And so we rejoice in the gifts of others. And so I want us all to sort of have a look around the room. Are there people in the room who are able to do things that you can't? Are there people in the room who are able to do things better than you? What do we do? What's our response? Well, we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord that in his manifold wisdom he would distribute grace gifts in such a way for all of our good. That is God's design. You see, the way we need to understand this and the way we need to understand each other is that it's not just our, our grace gifts given by God for the benefit of each other, we're not meant to just think about the gifts. We're in fact meant to think of our whole being. We form part of the body of Christ. We ourselves are given for the benefit of each other. And so if you think about this, whether you like it or not, whether you thought about this or not, in all my inadequacies, in all my incompetencies, listen to this, I'm God's gift to you. Does that sound strange? But likewise, in all your inadequacies and in all your incompetencies, you are God's gift to me and to each other. And so we praise the Lord. We rejoice in the gifts God has given others. Now finally, after considering a passage like this and speaking about grace gifts and spiritual gifts, I suspect many of you might be thinking now, what then is my gift? How do I work it out? What are the spiritual gifts God has given me for the building of his church? Well, two things I'd like to say about this. Firstly, there appears to be in this list some gifts which are more spontaneous, miraculous, like healings and speaking tongues and prophecies. And when God, in his sovereign purposes, bestows such gifts 
on some people, it must always be remembered it's not because they were good. It's not because they prayed hard enough. It's not because they wanted more than everyone else. It must be remembered that it was a grace gift distributed by the Spirit of God for the good of the church, not for self-glory, when those type of gifts are given. But then there are gifts. The vast majority of these gifts are gifts like administration, hospitality, teaching, helping others, service, encouragement, giving financially, leadership, showing mercy. These are all considered grace gifts from God. They're they're grace gifts we see in the New Testament. And so what that suggests, they're pretty normal, aren't they? What that suggests then that even the natural talents we all have and show and display, they can be considered God's grace gift. And that would make sense. Early in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he said, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, Paul's trying to get, help us to see that all that we are and all that we're able to do as human beings is because of God's grace. And so whatever is done for the building of the church in any way, in any service for the building of the church, they can be considered God's grace gift. And so what this therefore means is that if we're all able to do this, natural talents can be included. If we're all able to do this, then what this means then is that we can't come to church and we can't just sit around and we can't just consume and we can't just be lazy in our service, we can't just be complacent in our attitude and just allow others to serve us. We have a part to play. Our abilities, our God-given talents, natural talents, are grace gift for the good of his people. You see, we can't just wait around and our reasoning might be, I don't know what my gifts are. And what this also means is that we can't also use the excuse that I'm like the toenail in this illustration. And so, and so the, there's no, that's permission for me to not do anything, to not get outside my comfort zone. I'm just a little bit. You see, in our church, I know there are many of you who are introverts, who hate being up front, who hate speaking publicly, who hate and dislike welcoming and, and talking to visitors and newcomers. But many of you do so nonetheless because you are on about building the church. You might be a toenail, but you're, you're not insignificant. You have a part to play. And what this also means is that we can't also wait for the gifts to suddenly fall on our laps for it to be confirmed somehow. Whereas this is telling us we should be taking initiative in the service of God as we take initiative in the various ways they are God's grace gift to us for the good of the church. And if you think about this, how many musicians do you know get good at playing music without any practice? It shows that grace gifts requires practice. How many hospitable people do you know get good at hospitality without practice? How many generous people do you know get generous without putting into practice? And how many preachers do you know get good at preaching without practice? You see, though they may be God's grace gift to us, given by God, distributed by the Spirit in the various ways, It is not without our efforts. It is not without our preparation. 
it is not without our practice and hard work. And so this evening, if you are one of those who might be thinking, what is my gift? I'm waiting around to work it out before I start serving, before I start doing things. If that is your thinking, if that is how you're thinking tonight, it's perhaps better to think about gifts in this way. Where can I serve humbly? And who can I love joyfully? You want to work out what your gifts are? Ask yourself that question. Where can I serve humbly? In our church, who can I love joyfully? You see, you are part of this body and you all have a part to play. Your toenail, a fingernail, you have a part to play. As young as you are, as old as you are, you have a part to play. As weak as you feel, as strong as you feel, you have a part to play. And you are all important. That is what Paul wants us to see. You see, in the morning service, the demographic is quite different and we have a lot of older folks. Many of these older ladies you'll never see up front doing the Bible reading, doing announcements, singing, playing music. You, you won't see them do that. And so our natural suspicion is that they're, they're not doing much. They're useless. But you see, I suspect that a lot of the conversions that happen in this church, a lot of the growth that happens in this church is because of the faithful prayers of these people. Earlier this year, Yvonne and myself and our kids, we visited an older lady, a single old lady. She said that that morning she prayed for us. How wonderful is that? That is God's grace gift given to her for the good of the body. And so when you look around and you're looking for what your gifts are, look and see that there are ample opportunities to serve. Look and see that there are numerous people to love. You want to work out what your gifts are? Well, look and see those opportunities and those people. And what a beautiful picture God has given for us today. Various gifts, one purpose, numerous parts, one body. This is the God we serve and this is how wonderful he is, that he would use us in that way, despite how weak and feeble we might be. And so that's that's cause for us to rejoice and to praise the Lord. And so let's do that. Let's praise. Heavenly Father, we praise you for in your manifold wisdom you would decide to design your church in this way. There's diversity in gifts, in parts, but unity in purpose and in this one body of Christ. And so help us all to recognise and to see how we might be humble in our attitude willing in our service and joyful in love. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.